Welcome, everybody, to the Grow People podcast. That is Pastor Jason, lead pastor of Revolution Church. I did the head tilt. Grow People podcast. Oh, that's right. Yes. I wasn't. I was making. I was making faces at the camera. I forgot. No, to. people were coming up to me on Sunday. Hey, what is what is the head motion when you say Grow People podcast? And I go, Welcome to the Grow People podcast. Because <laughs> they hadn't seen it. No, they, they hadn't seen the video. No, no. It's like um, Jim Carrey in um, Ace Ventura. That's what it makes me think of. He does that. That he, he does. That whip. He know? does. Yeah. Did you see the recent Jim Carrey video? I did. I was stunned by that. Yeah. Yeah, like I'm a, you know, growing up, I was a huge Jim Carrey fan back to the uh, In Living Color days. Alrighty then. Oh my gosh, Fire Marshal Bill. <laughs> I used to do that all the time with my teeth, like dry them out and get them up there. It's like <laughs> Fire Marshal Bill. That was the best. I mean, you had, you know, Saturday Night Live, then you had In Living Color. And In Living Color, but I was the Williams Brothers, all those. Shanene. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was hilarious. But then... Like he kind of went crazy for a while uh, after all of his movies he and did. stuff, and then even like politically, he would be drawing like some really crazy artwork and stuff. And so I just thought he had gone off the deep end. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, just like a week or two ago, yeah. there was a clip that did you send me that clip? No, I don't think so. Yeah, somebody did, or I I saw it somehow. I can't remember, but it 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 felt like a um, you know I don't put a lot of stock in in. Hollywood people, you right. know what I mean? Because, um, but every now and then, when one that you, it just kind of surprises you mm-hmm. that, yeah, he apparently he's, and I don't know if he's always been a believer, and just like went nuts for a while, or this is a new thing. But yeah, hit, the clip I saw was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, and and it, it was the second time I was kind of blown away in the last couple of weeks. I was yesterday years old. It was the third time I was blown away in the last couple of weeks. Third. now you're sassing yeah okay um no i Uh, I found out yesterday that one of my favorite philadelphia eagles of all time randall cunningham is a pastor oh yes yeah pastor i think it's i think it's in vegas we need to look this up which you tried to tell me this while we were working out this morning yeah i was so excited (laughs) we just had this conversation over lunch where David and I have been going to the same gym and working out. And when I work out, I don't like to talk because mm. um, I just want to mm-hmm. just stay focused and work. Mm, not me, baby. But you like to talk. Mm. And we weren't, our stations weren't next to each other today. And so you were with somebody else. But on a break, you came down to talk to me. <laughs> to tell him that Randall Cunningham was a pastor. <laughs> and he was so excited. He said, man, did you know Randall Cunningham was a pastor? I was like, no. And then you just kind of stood there, <laughs> stood there for a minute because I was just trying to survive and it, it, keep breathing. It is seven thirty in the morning. Yeah, yeah, and then you just walked away, and I felt yeah. bad afterwards. Yeah, I've been up for four hours. Yeah. So, <laughs> but I love Randall Cunningham, yeah. even though he played for the Eagles. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know that's one of the Cowboys' arch nemesis. But I always loved him, and he was such a. In fact, I had starting lineup figures of him and. So no, I did not know that. Yeah, we can I'm, talk about it now that I'm not working out. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna write him a letter. You should. But, and I did text it to my brother who does not have a relationship with Jesus. Yeah. Uh, and I said, well, I guess I'm no longer your favorite pastor. <laughs> so, <laughs> and he said, well, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my name is David Stein. Um, I am the campus pastor at our Canton location, and the purpose of the Grow People podcast is to help grow people. That's what we're here for. <laughs> Uh, I want to thank everybody that sent us pie over the last two weeks yes. since the last episode Amen. of the podcast. Bless we, you. Bless we, you. It was pie day. It was national pie day. It was three, one, four. It was mm-hmm. March 14th. Yep. Um, the numeric pie. And as we were talking about pie, I said, I like a burry pie. I, I do. I do. <laughs> I like a. That's a pie that's been buried in the ground before it. Yeah. B e r r y bury. Uh, I like a fruit pie. I like a warm fruit dessert. And uh, Miss Tracy uh, made me a warm fruit dessert. It was magnificent. It was a combination. It was everything I like. It was a crisp. It was a crumble. It was a pie, and it was uh, tremendous. Oh well, the funniest thing is she brought it before our Thursday night gathering because they come on Thursdays. And she was walking by with it in her hand. And I said, oh, what do you got there, a pie? And she goes, yeah, this is for David. You won't like it. 
<laughs> and or something like that. And because it, because we had talked about, mm-hmm. I'm not, uh, although I said I like cobblers, but this pie, tr- oh my gosh, Tracy, I loved it. Like yeah. y- you'd brought it backstage and you'd already said that I could have some. Mm-hmm. But then while you were out, while I was getting ready, it just was there. And then I, I, there was something that was sitting on it and I touched it and it was warm. Mm. And once I felt that it was still warm, yep. I had to go get me a plate yep. and just ask for forgiveness. <laughs> so, <laughs> you didn't so, have to ask for forgiveness. It was my pleasure. So I had um, a, I had a piece of that mm. and I don't, yeah, I don't know what she called. I mean, cause it's an apple pie, but the top of it was, yeah, yeah it's like some mm. kind of crisp. I mean, yeah, I came, oh gosh, I came, was, I came backstage and you said, this is the best thing I've ever eaten. Yeah. It was unreal. Yeah. Yeah. It made me change my, uh, my, uh, stance on, I, I think it's more of the way you said it, like a warm fruit pie. That just sounds weird. Warm fruit dessert. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then I also got a chocolate pie you from did. You did. one of our, uh, other small groups, which was unreal. And, um, so yeah, it was, it was good. That was the third thing I was blown away by. You know what I forgot? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I forgot to talk about when we're talking about pies? The chocolate pudding pie. Did you grow up with chocolate? Or was that a northern thing? It was jello pudding in a graham cracker crust. It had to be a Keebler. You had to get the Keebler graham cracker crust. Mm-hmm. And and my mom would just make chocolate pudding and then pour it into the crust and stick it in the fridge. Yeah, I think we did that. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we did um there was things that our family would make where it was that plus other things, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Oh, and um, it could not be the instant, by the way. Yeah. I think we had that though. Okay. Yeah. My mom made so many, I mean, again, growing up, we would have a dessert at every meal. And so she made a lot of different things. And I remember, cause she had a butterscotch pudding that was really, really good mm-hmm. as well. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty sure we did that. Yeah. I don't think that's just a Northern thing. Okay. Unlike a burry pie. Burry pie. All right, uh, let's move on. Uh, we did talk uh, before the podcast about toast. We can bring that up at the next podcast. <clears throat> we did 10 minutes on toast. <laughs> well, you did. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> like one of our staff members is getting married. Yes. And he was the destination that he's going to. You went to a place there that, it's, that has really good toast. Specializes in toast. Yeah. Like you go on a fair, furry. <laughs> across the across the water that's go. that's those little uh those little toys that we had as kids yes. growing up they turned that into a boat yes they yeah. Did. yeah so you get to ride a furry yeah yeah <laughs> i don't know where y'all are from but you y'all pronounce words wrong <laughs> all right let's move on um let's talk about uh, an experience that we had this past week which was pretty remarkable uh we got to go to a messianic Passover Seder. Yeah. And was that your first? That was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. As I told you several years ago, when y'all had first gone to one, I didn't even know what Seder was. Mm-hmm. I mean, I knew about Passover, but yeah, so that was the first one. Yeah. So Seder is the Passover dinner, uh, traditionally uh, done during, well, Passover, yeah. uh, which I believe is coming up in the first week of April. Uh, but the Messianic rabbi who uh, uh, gave us the Seder, mm-hmm. um, he was all booked up. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's got like, 25 dates in the a next busy 25 guy. days. Um, so we did the Seder at one of our small groups. Uh, actually, there are two small groups that invited me to their Passover Seder. Yes. Uh, with the same guy, Murray Tillis. And um, I could only go to one. So yeah. we went to this one. And it was, uh, it was really special. And to see Jesus in every part of the Passover. Yeah. And that's, that's the whole purpose of a, of a messianic Seder. Seder is just a Hebrew word for order. Yeah. So things were done in order. So I have been to 45 Seders prior to conversion. Uh, many Because y'all did it every year. Every right? every year. Yeah. Now, I don't remember the first few. Yeah. But probably from about four years old on, I remember, remember? they were long. Yeah. Uh, we were hungry. <laughs> yeah. And Uncle Manny didn't let us go to the bathroom. <laughs> so, and, and, and they could be two and a half, three hours long mm. sitting at sitting at the dinner table, yeah. going through this service. And then at, at some point, the youngest uh, male in the family has to sing Hebrew uh, throughout the service. 
Uh, so that was me for many years. Yeah, that as was I, your job. As I sang uh, next to my jeering cousins. Yeah, as they as they mocked me. Yeah. Um, so we got to see none of what we saw last week because obviously Jesus was not in our, our Passover Seder. Yeah. So it was so cool, and the symbolism when when Mary talked about the afikomen, mm-hmm. which is um, one of the parts of the Seder where you would take three pieces of matzah and matzah is that square cracker, the unleavened bread, the unleavened bread. And you would place the three pieces of matzah in a pouch. Mm-hmm. And early on in the service, you would take the middle piece of the matzah out of the pouch and break it. And then I remember my dad doing this every year. Mm. He would break the matzah and then he would take a white linen napkin and he would gently fold that napkin around that piece of matzah. The matzah was then, it's called the afikomen. The afikomen would then be hidden mm-hmm. somewhere in the house and it would be later on revealed as part of a game where the children would run around looking for this hidden treasure, like an Easter egg. Yeah, like an Easter egg, yeah. Yeah. Well, if if you picked up on the afikomen being broken and then wrapped in a linen shroud, yeah, and it was in the middle of the three mm-hmm. pieces of matzah, only to be revealed later on. Yeah. This, after being buried somewhere. After being buried somewhere. Yeah. The symbolism is remarkable. Yeah, that that was the part, again, growing up non-Jewish and not knowing. I mean, again, I knew about the, well, I didn't, you know, grow up in church either. But when I got saved and then I started hearing stories, you know, reading the Old Testament kind of thing. So I knew about the historical event of the Passover, you know, and what that meant and that kind of thing. But I had no concept of the Jewish festivals, mm-hmm. you know, that Jewish people were commanded, you know, coming out of Egypt to celebrate every year. And over the last several years, as you know, we've gotten to know each other and then going to Israel and, and, and I've said this from before from stage of just not realizing how Jewish our faith is. Mm-hmm. And Jesus obviously was Jewish and the, you know, salvation, as I've said, it came from the Jews. It wasn't just for the Jewish people, but it came from um, God's chosen people. And so there's so much symbolism to all of that and how Jesus fulfills all those things. And so it just amazes me. Like it, we both had that different amazement, you know, and it was really cool being there with you, A, because you knew all the Hebrew songs because you would, you and, and Murray would sing them, um, which is just kind of crazy. You know, it's like, you just start speaking another language, you know? Um, and so that was super cool, but watching your expression and seeing all these things that you have all these memories of doing, but you didn't know what they mean. Not at all. And then yeah. the rest of us in the group didn't have all these memories, but we too didn't know what they meant, mm-hmm. you know? And so it was kind of this, just a really amazing time for us to go through this and see and then yeah once you see it like what are you talking about the like i had no idea i mean again i knew about the unleavened bread i knew about um you know the the basics of the festival but i had i didn't know about the afikomen and the and this pouch that they have Mm -hmm. and then the three things and then murray was talking about it was three in one it's one pouch three parts, you know, and that's a symbol of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, they take out the middle, which, you know, Jesus, you know, is the, you got the father, son, Holy spirit. Yep. So you take him out, break him, break him, wrap him up, bury him. And then later he's revealed. Yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, it was blowing my mind. Yeah. And the, the first time that, uh, that Leanna and I went to a messianic Seder and heard this, I mean, I, I just wept the entire time yeah. having missed it. And obviously, I, I would miss it. And and then I, I remember that that first time, it was just a few years ago, and the rabbi held up the matzah. Now, 
just know that no Gentiles have matzo factories. Yeah. <laughs> we have saltines. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> the Jewish people own the matzo factories. Yeah. Okay. So whether it's Manischewitz or Streets or Yehuda, it's people who don't know Jesus mm. are making the matzo. Mm-hmm. Well, when you hold the matzo up, the matzo is striped. Yeah. And pierced. Yeah. Pierced for our transgressions. Mm-hmm. By his stripes, we're by healed. his wounds, we're healed. Yeah. And that just knocked me down. Mm. And it knocked me down last week when he said that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I didn't know that either. You know, again, because I grew up, once I went to church, we would take communion and we didn't have matzah. <laughs> we had these little crummy crackers. Like uh, it was almost like, uh, what do they call those lobster crackers or whatever? Those little bitty. Oh, I love those. Well, yeah. <laughs> the oyster crackers. Oyster crackers. Yes. Yeah. Not as good as those. Okay. <laughs> Just really stale, almost like pillows, like little, like this little, <laughs> they were horrible. Um, and again, we would, we only took the symbolism of at the last supper where Jesus institutes communion. But again, it was completely divorced from that was one part of the Passover. Mm-hmm. And so he took the cup and then took the bread, but I had no idea there was four cups, not just mm-hmm. one cup. Yep. No idea of the, the, I mean, again, I knew the unleavened bread, but no idea of this bigger piece of matzah that you break that striped and pierced like the symbolism is all over it. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of Protestant people and not just Protestant in the sense of you know, Catholics and Protestants, but everybody like Gentile believers all that has been so divorced from its biblical roots that we miss that. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I did, and I've been pastoring for two decades. Um, and I didn't know that until last week about the striped and pierced. Um, and you think of that in, and, and this question came up in, in our time where people in our group would ask you or ask Murray, how can the Jewish people not see this? How do they not see this? The answer was amazing. Yeah, why don't you? Well, the the first thing is it's easy to say that. Yeah. It, it's easy to say how how did we miss it? Yeah. How how did we miss it? But then he then then Murray said this. Y'all are in a church and every church has people sitting there every week. Yeah. Who grew up in church who have missed it. Yeah. Who have missed Jesus. Yeah. And and that was that was comforting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and it's heart- not just a Jewish yeah. issue. And, yeah, and heartbreaking at the same exactly. time. Yeah. Um, and further reminds us that even though we live in the South, even mm-hmm. though we live in Cherokee County, where there are a ton of churches, there are a lot of people who don't have a relationship with Jesus, and they may claim to be believers. Yeah, they may claim to be Christians. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of work to to be done. Mm-hmm. And then what did he say the second part was? I can't remember. The, the, he, he, there was a second part to it. Yeah. Um, but that was, because I, I beat myself up for the first few years yeah. that I was a believer. I was like, how did I miss this? Yeah. And, and now I may be sitting next to somebody. Totally. Who, who has missed it. Yeah. So we, we have a right mission field here. Oh, totally. Uh, the, again, another thought that I had, you know, I should have stayed in Los Angeles. Or I should have stayed in Philadelphia where the mission field is big. No, the mission field's right here. It's yeah. where God has planted us yeah. to, um, to preach the gospel to people who may have, may have heard it their entire lives. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't remember if he said this at that, that question or at a different time, but when he said kind of jokingly, but not, not in any way disparaging, obviously, because he is Jewish, just like you, he said, "Have you read the Old Testament? <laughs> like, my people aren't an ob- obedient people. No, you know. No. Um, he was like, you know, they got it wrong. But again, yeah, we can kind of stand outside and look at it. And and I think from a, again, a non-Jewish perspective is, you know, people grow up with all different kind of cultures. You know, you do, like we're in the South. You know, so there's cultural mm-hmm. practices. We're in America, so there's cultural practices. But I think the thing that's so amazing to me." again, kind of outside looking in is for the, for Jewish people, all your cultural practices 
also pointed to Jesus. All of them. That's the part that I think is different mm-hmm. for a Gentile person. And again, that was in my thought was like, yeah, I mean, it's easy to miss God in America because even though our money says in God we trust and, you know, and our anthems and those kinds of things, but a lot of our cultural practices, like our, you know, I mean, granted, yeah, Easter and Christmas, you know, it, but a lot of our other holidays don't revolve around, you know, that. And so you, you kind of look at that and you think, man, there were so many references to, mm-hmm. but I love how Murray answered that. He said, yeah, just because, just because they um, were given these things. And Paul talks about that, like how grateful we should be to the Jewish people because the law, so many things come from them, but how no matter if you're Jewish or Gentile, none of that can save you. We're all still blind. Mm -hmm. Like, and that was the thing that I think for a lot of people in our group and even me to your point was, and I love how Murray pointed that out was we should not think that the Jewish people are fine. Like there, there isn't, there is not a separate salvation track for them. Right. And there are some theological positions that think that. And so therefore they think about when it comes to the mission field, they don't include Jewish people because like, oh, well, they're elect. God's going to take care of them. But I agree with Murray from a theological point said, no, the, I mean, the early church's mission field was to Jewish people. Mm-hmm. I mean, all the, Jesus was Jewish. All the early disciples were Jewish. It was not until Paul, even he being Jewish came and, and spread it out to the Gentiles. And so the early church had as their mission to evangelize Jewish people. Yes. And we should too. Mm-hmm. And that's what I really, really appreciated from Murray is that he wasn't just like showing us all this symbolism that we may not have picked up on as Gentiles, but he was doing it in such a way. And his heart is just like your heart is for the Jewish people to see this and his ministry. And a lot of things that he does goes to Israel quite often is ministering to Jewish people because there's so much cultural symbolism there that you can point to that they already know about, Mm -hmm. you know, and they already have like you, they went to, all these festivals, they did all these things, but they have no idea why. Yeah. Because what did he say? It's only like, was it 3% of Jewish people believe in Jesus? 3% of the Jewish population. So it'd be about 13 million people in the world. Yeah. Believe in Yeshua as 3% of that 13 million. Yeah. Yeah. So the vast majority of Jewish, Jewish people aren't even religious. No. Are very secular. Yeah. And that's what, that's what I grew up in. Yeah. In a very secular uh, household. Um, and I'm so thankful now that I did get to experience all of the feasts Yeah, and and we did them all. Yeah. And, um, Mary explained, okay, this feast had Jesus, this feast has Jesus, this feast had Jesus. Oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. When he went through that in Leviticus 23 yep. mm-hmm. and I, I was trying to write it down. Of course, well, I can ask him later, but all the feasts that, that God lays out, he talked about how it was pointing to the birth, the the death, the resurrection, the coming, second coming, all mm-hmm. that was in the, in the mm-hmm. feasts yep. in the, you know, that exist in a calendar year. And that blew my mind. Yeah. We're talking about Mary Tillis um, from light of Messiah ministries. Yeah. And for 40 years, he has been ministering to the Jewish people, mm-hmm. um, telling them about Jesus. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. Amazing. Yeah. Um, there, there's the question that I'm sure may be on your minds. Are we ever going to do a Passover Seder uh, here at Revolution? We would love to. Yeah, we. and again, I didn't know that. Like That was one thing when we went last week, and he said that he had just gotten through doing one for a church, mm-hmm. and they had a lot of their leaders come and say, oh, you do this in like a large group setting? He's like, oh, yeah, and they had, this church had like 300 people. So, yeah, I think that would be a great idea, you know, whether we did it for all of our group leaders or whatever, that would be super cool to almost like develop a tradition of that mm-hmm. because again, and, and this is a bad thing in Protestantism, like I was saying earlier, like, you know, more of the high, high church, uh, you know, more Catholic Lutherans, they have more, more liturgy, which mm-hmm. liturgy just means practice and, you know, and the way they do things. Well, Protestants, you know, always joke, Protestants, we protest against everything, you mm-hmm. know, 
So that's why Christians are always protesting something. Um, but we don't have those liturgies. We don't have those things outside of the basics, you know, Christmas and Easter and that kind of stuff. But I think that's what, well, you know, my, my thought is that's one of the reasons why God developed all these festivals for Jewish people to remember, mm-hmm. to not forget. And so they had this liturgy, but most people who grew up in church, myself included, we don't have any of that. We don't have, whether it's keeping Sabbath or those kind of things, we don't have those kind of rhythmic things we do. And that's what really is really intriguing to me. So the idea of doing some kind of Passover Seder would be amazing yeah. for our church. So, um, yeah, we don't know what that looks like. No, I have no idea. <laughs> We're not making any promises. No, it'd no. It'd be cool. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things that we think, oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Uh, but it was a really cool experience. If you ever get to go to a Messianic Seder, um, please go. Uh, it is incredibly eye-opening. Um, I, I want to shift not that we're shifting topic because the Passover Seder obviously happened during Passion Week. Yeah. Uh, in line with that. Yes. Yeah. Chapter li- two. Uh, we are, we're coming up on Easter. And uh, if you have not heard, there are uh, 1,400 Easter gatherings <laughs> at, at, at Revolution. Yeah. Uh, three in Jasper, six in Canton, whole bunch online. Um, there is an encouragement if you normally go to one of the big gatherings on Sunday, 9.30, 11.15. Uh, please come to one of the other ones. Yes. We have room for guests. Yeah. Uh, but we're excited because for the last couple of months, uh, starting with uh, John chapter 18, you have called it this this long march to the cross. Yeah. And this past weekend, preaching out of John 19, verses uh, 16 to 27, getting into the heart of what happened on Calvary, mm-hmm. what happened at the crucifixion. Mm-hmm. And um, you broke down the two sites that everybody thinks might be one of the sites where it happened. Mm-hmm. And then you said, probably not there. Yeah, which is kind of funny. At the, uh, I can't remember if it was a Thursday or 930. Uh, I said, here's the two main sites, and I don't think it's either one of those. And then some people in the crowd laughed. Yeah. And I didn't mean it to be funny or mean it to be like, they're all wrong and I'm right. But to... To that point, I do think in the same kind of way, like God is obviously a God of symbolism. I mean, he is a God that is trying to send a message in everything he does, you know, and who he is and what he creates. And so if you think about it, you know, again, God didn't have to do the Passover the way he did it. He could have just struck the Egyptians down and like, hey, y'all walk out. But he did it in a rhythmic, orderly, satyr way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he's a god of order. He's a god of order, and he did it with this huge symbolism. So it makes total sense that everything God did, um, as it relates to Jesus, not only life and ministry, but the last couple of days of his life, all of that was hugely symbolic too, pointing to other things. That's why John goes out of his way quite often to say, this was to fulfill the scripture. This was to fulfill the scripture. You know, and I've made that reference that statistically speaking, it is a statistical anomaly for Jesus to fulfill all those. Like it doesn't even make statistical sense um, that one person could fulfill all those mm-hmm. Old Testament prophecies, but he did. So to this point in particular, when you look at, you know, and again, I grew up once I started going to church hearing about Golgotha, you know, the place of the school, but again, no reference to know where those were. There's somewhere outside the city, you know, but when we went to Israel and we didn't go to the church of the Holy Sepulcher, because again, that is the the traditional Catholic site and the garden tomb is pretty much like the Protestant site, Mm -hmm. um, which are kind of the two big divisions within evangelicalism, you know, um, not considering the Orthodox, but those two sites, when you go there, one, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, there's really just no biblical evidence for that. I mean, the only reason why it's there is, as I said, Constantine's mother said it was there, mm-hmm. you know, in the fourth century. But we know at the time it was it was a temple to Venus at that time. And so there's really no um re it was well, there's nothing that says it was called Golgotha or anything like that. 
Um, it doesn't make sense where it's at geographically. It's kind of southwest of the Temple Mount, where the Garden Tomb it has in the in the rock cliff uh, right next to it has what looks like a skull. So at least that one, you're like, okay. Like when we went to Israel, I was like, oh, it's there. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where it is. And then there's a really nice garden tomb next yep. to it with a stone that yep. that rolls away. Looks and just like it. Just yeah. I mean, it's what you would envision if mm-hmm. you, um, you know, were going to envision that. So, and there's an olive press there, you know, and so it kind of, there's some symbolism there. But then when I started looking, and, and one of our guys on the trip actually mentioned that he thought it was actually in the Mount of Olives, mm-hmm. which again, you would even talk about that, but I didn't have, I mean, I knew the Mount of Olives was significant, but I didn't understand all of its symbolism. So when you look into it and you realize that all these prophecies are about to the east of the temple, you know, Jesus came from the east into the temple for Palm Sunday. He went out that way to the Garden of Gethsemane. The Valley of Judgment is there. Uh, the Roman law that said that you were to be crucified near to where you committed the crime. Um, the fact that there are graves all over the Mount mm-hmm. of Olives, all these things in your mind, you start thinking, oh, I wonder if it could be over here. But what really did it for me, and and the coolest part of the sermon to me was when John references Jesus's tunic and that it was seamless, woven together from top to bottom. Well, as I was studying that, I thought, man, that's interesting. Why, why does he give us that kind of detail? And then that phrase "top to bottom," you know, queued up in my mind because I remember the the gospels, the other gospels, saying the curtain was torn. So then when you start putting that together and you realize the symbolism of the Holy of Holies, the entrance to it came from the East. And so if you were to look out from the Holy of Holies, you would see the Mount of Olives. And then Jesus, if he was crucified there, would be looking straight at the Holy of Holies. And so it was like this mirror image. And, And I didn't say this in church, but Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God, Colossians says. So you have the invisible God over here, and right next to it, you have the visible image. So it would make total sense that those two things are facing each other. Mm. Just like someone, here's the, here's the person, here's the mirror. Right. Well, you can't see the image unless you're across from it. Mm. You know. So, And I, I didn't show this picture on Thursday night because I didn't think of it. I, I had seen it, but then after I was like, oh, I got to show this picture but it shows a viewpoint from behind the cross looking what would be west right. to the temple mound. And I think that's when people understand, okay, I see what you're talking about here. And so here's the curtain that was seamless. And here's Jesus who not just his tunic was seamless, but he himself is seamless. Mm-hmm. And he was torn in two. And when he gave up his, his last breath, this power goes out that then you know, mirrors right to the temple curtain and just that visible image of God tearing that seamless curtain mm. with his hands because the final sacrifice had been made. So again, when you think about it from that perspective, I mean, the whole Old Testament sacrificial system was set up as a symbol. It was never set up to be the actual means of salvation. It was set up to be a symbol. It was set up to point as uh, the New Testament says it was a shadow of the thing to come. Well, if something's a shadow. Mm-hmm. Like I, we did that series years and years ago. If you have somebody and they're shining a light on it, what's going to cast a shadow back? So you got the cross standing in hu- human history, casting a shadow through the entire old Testament. So everything about those shadows was pointing forward to Jesus. So when you see all that um, and you see the, the, just the, and like I said at church, I mean, God even prophesied about what would happen to Jesus's clothes. Yeah. He was so sovereign over every detail. And you see that it just blows your mind that God articulated and, and orchestrated at that, I mean, that time. And that's why the Bible calls it the fullness of time, because that was the time it was going to happen. So it makes total sense that they took Jesus out to the Mount of Olives, which I don't think I said this in every gathering could have also been called the place of the skull because one, the top of it kind of looks like a skull, Mm -hmm. like the mountain, 
But also there's a lot of records that say that on the Mount of Olives is actually where the Jewish people would kind of gather before going into the temple. Mm -hmm. And that's where they would take a head count. That's where they would do a poll. And in the same way we say head count, that's what the place of the skull could be referencing is that that's where they took a head count. So it also makes sense that Jesus was crucified there and a lot of Jewish people that were coming in for Passover and the Sabbath would see him because they were all coming from the east. Well, they wouldn't have been coming from the northwest or the southwest. Mm -hmm. That's not how they would enter in. They would enter in this way. So again, you see all that symbolism, and it just starts blowing your mind about how God so perfectly brought this whole thing together. Um, And then I started thinking about the idea of the seamless, like the definition, no, no awkward transitions. It's like, well, there was a seamless transition from the Old Testament sacrificial system to the new, the old covenant to the new. And then if we're in Christ, we'll make a seamless transition, you know, mm-hmm. to from death to life. Right. One day we won't die. You know, so again, I just was geeking out on that word. Oh, I I, I thought it was so powerful to, to then tie in, it was Matthew. Yeah. Tie in. Uh, the verse from Matthew, and then to bring it all around to the gospel shaking us, yeah. like the foundation and the stones were shaking and splitting. Yeah. And does the gospel shake us to the point where it changes our lives? Yeah. Well, and that was the part, and I was telling you this prior to, like I knew that I wanted to talk about the seamless tunic, the the curtain, but it wasn't until Thursday and at, and actually preaching it where it all kind of came together for me because that last part of the Matthew 27 verse where it says the earth shook, the rocks split open, people came out of the grave. That's when I realized, Oh, that's how I can end this mm-hmm. because in this weird kind of interchange and not weird as in bad, but right before Jesus dies, Jesus looks to his mother and says, behold your son and looks to John and says, behold your mother. And yeah, on one basic level, that is Jesus taking care of his mama you know, mm-hmm. and wanted to make sure she was taken care of. But it was also a bigger moment to say what I just did or what I'm doing right now is about to shake up everything. It's about to shake up, not just the earth, not just going to split the rocks, not just going to make dead people come to life, but it's going to reorient your entire life to where everybody in your life is like your family. Now, everybody is your mother or your mm-hmm. son. And we talk about that a lot here, and we use the phrase "our family" um, because the church is the family of Jesus, and that's where it hit me. Is like, oh yeah, that's how I'm going to end this, because as I made reference earlier in the sermon, so many times the gospel is is you know people like the quote, it's crucified between two opposite errors, you know. People think, oh, just being good is the gospel or or I can do whatever I want because of the gospel. Well, neither one of those are the gospel. And the reason why people don't have the gospel shake up their life to this level is because they don't see it clearly. Mm-hmm. They think it's one of those two opposite right. errors. But when you see the gospel so clearly that we were so sinful that Christ had to die, but we were so loved that he chose to. He wasn't forced to, that he willingly offered himself. Well, it blows up your whole life. Yeah. It blows. And then again, tying in all the symbolism and the Passover and all the stuff we've been talking about today, the gospel has this huge transformative effect on you and shakes you um, and splits your heart wide open and makes you go from death to life. And I think sometimes, especially in a lot of churches today, um, not just Protestant, but really just in evangelicalism, like not much different than Jewish people going through festival. They're just going through the motions, going through the putting a yarmulke on and going through the motions. Yeah, that that's what we did. That's what you did. Yeah, there, there's a. I, I won't go into. Yeah, there, there's a very a very funny story about a yarmulke and my wife. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one day we can have her on here and tell that story. But there's a lot of people in church just doing that. Yeah. They're just going through the motions, like we said earlier, and the gospel hasn't shook them, and it hasn't, it hasn't split them open. It hasn't rearranged every priority in their life. Mm-hmm. 
And I think it's because they're just, they, they are not beholding Jesus. Yeah. They're not, because once you see that, once you get that, it, the only thing it can do is change everything. Yes. I love how Tim Keller says that the gospel changes everything. So when the gospel really hits you and you really understand, A, who Jesus is, he is God, and then B, what Jesus did, he did give his life for you, the only response to that can be worship and full surrender. Mm -hmm. And so we have a lot of Christians that are walking around claiming to be alive, but they sure look dead. Yeah. You know, um, claiming to know Jesus, but they have no power. Uh, and and again, we're, I'm not trying to say that in a way shamefully or in a guilt way, um, but when when Jesus breathed his last, the earth didn't have a choice but to, like the earth shook, rocks split, because it's like, uh, and and this is what the reference of, of Isaiah chapter six when Isaiah sees God high and lifted up, and I've I've mentioned this before, but the Hebrew word for glory is weighty. Well, when a weightier object comes into contact with a less weightier object, you know, so when a rock comes in contact with an egg, Mm -hmm. the egg doesn't have a choice Mm -hmm. of whether or not they're going to split open. Right. It just splits open. Um, And so that's what I mean is like when the, just imagine the gospel is a huge rock. We are the egg that when it comes down, it splits us wide open. That's why Isaiah responded the way he did. Mm -hmm. He didn't have a choice. It wrecked him. And that's what I'm saying. When we see the gospel, it wrecks us. It breaks us wide open. It splits us wide open. When we see it, it shakes us. It, it, it is just, I mean, we come into contact with the holiness and the love of God. Well, if that doesn't split you open, then you're not looking at it right. Something had to happen to Paul. Something. <laughs> I mean, he was on the road to go kill Christians, and a big, massive weight comes and, and, and crushes him. Yeah, and, and crushed him to the point where the only thing he wanted to do was go tell other people about this. Yes. And, and that's, the, that's the crushing, transformative power of the gospel, yes. to completely transform a life. Yes. To, to the point where he was willing to give up his salvation so his people could know Jesus. Totally. And I think that's the problem, and again, a very similar way, as Murray said, Jewish people that have just grown up around these traditions their whole mm-hmm. life, Christians that have just grown up, in, yeah. they've been in church. Like when people say, I've been a Christian my whole life. Well, that's impossible. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what that tells me is you're a cultural one. Um, you haven't had a transformative, and I'm not saying universally that's true, but that can be the problem is we've been around it our whole life, but it's never hit us. The gospel hasn't wrecked you. Yeah. It hasn't wrecked you. It hasn't shaken you because we still argue with God, you know, um, whether it's about our marriages or about our life or our money or our bodies or what we do with our time. When the gospel crushes you, and I don't mean crush in a bad way, you know what I mean? But it, it's so weighty. It, it, it changes your entire life. Again, it doesn't mean we don't still struggle with sin, but the way out of sin is to look back at the gospel, mm-hmm. that no matter what sin you commit, it has been paid for, it melts your heart again, splits you wide open again. We've talked about that a lot. I just never get over that Jesus saved me, and he's still saving me, and he loves me. Well, if that doesn't wreck you, then you just, you're not seeing it correctly. Mm-hmm. I mean, how is it that we can watch a commercial, you know, about a, a parent with their child or somebody doing something sacrificial, and it moves us to right. tears? Sure. Well, imagine God doing that, hmm. and and if God did that, it's going to crush you and move you to tears. To where the only this is why Paul said in Romans twelve, the only reasonable act of worship is living your life as a, as a. Mm-hmm. living sacrifice. Yeah. That's the only thing that's reasonable. Mm-hmm. It's the only thing that makes sense. As Paul said, in view of God's mercies, offer your life as a as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable act of worship. Nothing else is reasonable to that. The only reasonable thing to the gospel is give God everything. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know, on Sundays or Thursdays or Wednesdays, you know, in our meetings, 
we often start our meetings with, hey, uh, what, what are we celebrating? Yeah. And in my campus meeting this week, um, Dave Arbogast, our student minister, said a, uh, a student got saved. Mm. And that wrecked the room. Yeah. Just, just that moment to say, wait a minute. So the gospel split somebody wide open. Wide open, open. yeah. And, and they walked out from death to life. And so my encouragement would be, when you're here and at the end of every gathering, uh, whoever is communicating, and, and normally it's Pastor Jason, is communicating the gospel, and someone raises their hand, mm-hmm. don't let that get old. No. Don't become complacent about no. that. Uh, a few weeks ago, a, a man walked out of the auditorium sobbing, mm. and I had spoken to him the week before. Mm. And the gospel had not split him wide open. Yeah. And then in an instant, the gospel transformed his life. Yeah. And he raised his hand and trusted in Jesus. And his life will never be the same. No. His family will never be the same. And I I never want to uh, ever get complacent about something like that. No. Again, because it is, it's, that's why we call it good news, Mm -hmm. you know. And I don't know what it says about us if the good news isn't good to us anymore. Mm. You know? Yeah. Um, if it's like, eh, it's okay. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. like, that's like being in a family and you hear somebody just had a baby. You're like, eh, it's okay. Yeah. Like if somebody looks at a baby and doesn't well up with, with, with compassion and love, I mean, you're just dead, you know? Yeah. And every time somebody's trusting Christ, that's a new child that's born, Yeah. you know? Yeah. So yeah, we don't ever want that to get old. No, even our baptisms in the lobby. Yeah. Now I know. Yeah, you're trying to get out of the parking lot. Yeah. Don't walk by a baptism. No. Because it is the public profession that someone has had their life wrecked by Jesus. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, it, again, going back to that symbolism, yeah. it is the symbolism we were buried with Christ and we're raised to walk. So, and again, I ju- we do it in water because it's easier to do than dirt. Uh, but there is significance to the water as well because it's like it's washing us. Mm-hmm. It's about washing with the water of the word, you know, like, we were dead and Christ covered our sins and then we come out. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it is a visible picture of what has happened invisibly. You know, it is, it is a symbol of what has happened inside and that is what makes it so powerful. And yeah, we should never get over that. Um, and you know, by God's grace, we baptize people almost every weekend in one of our campuses. And it's just amazing that God would use not only that God save us rascals like us, <laughs> but that He would use our lives um, to be messengers about what He can do in somebody else's life. Hmm. Um, yeah, I've never gotten over that, and I I pray I never will. Amen. Amen. The gospel transforms. So you may have somebody in your life that the gospel has not broken through. Invite them to Easter. Yeah. So. Pray for them, be in prayer for them, mm-hmm. listen to them, eat with them, yeah. invite, invite, invite them. Bless, to, bless them. Yeah. Uh, serve them, share your story, but invite them to one of our Easter gatherings. Put them in a position where they're going to hear the gospel. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not, that's not, you know, evangelism by definition, but it's, it's certainly part of it. Yeah. Certainly part of getting people to hear the message. Your job is not over just because you invited somebody to church. Yeah. Uh, you can still tell them uh, who Jesus is, share the gospel with them, but bring them to one of our gatherings. And um, what's worked for me, it doesn't, doesn't work for everybody, is if I invite somebody, I sit with them. Yeah. And uh, it may not be one of the main gatherings. As a matter of fact, it leaves more room for guests. Yeah. If it's yeah. not one of the main gatherings. And, and then you can go out with them afterwards, mm-hmm. you know, go get coffee with them afterwards or breakfast or brunch or whatever time, uh, that gathering is. Um, and most people will say yes to an invitation to Easter or Christmas. Yeah, totally. Okay. Awesome. Uh, great stuff on the show today. So much more we could have gotten in with regarding Passover. Uh, but Passover is not for a couple of weeks. Or, no, or it's, actually it's next week. Next week. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> 
Believe me. We'll be here before we know it. All of the Jewish holidays come up before we know it because it doesn't go on the Gregorian calendar. It's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's, on, it's on the yeah. Hebrew calendar. Yeah, it's completely so, different. So nobody in my family ever knew when any holiday was. Yeah. And it was always like, hey, did you know tonight's Passover? <gasps> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, here's how the show ends. I'm very excited about uh, the new one today. Mm. Um, our producer is Brian Damaro. Our, uh, our photographer is Mason Bumgarner. Our head of doctrine and theology is theologian. Brian, theologian. I don't know if he's listening. Okay, because he has a daughter named Thea. Um, <laughs> our chief evangelist. I was is, wondering what you were doing there. Our chief evangelist is Salvation. Our backsliding prevention officer is Luke Warm. Our translator is Lexi Khan. Our lineage specialist, genealogy. Our director of Swedish witnessing is Bjorn again. Our, <laughs> Every, every time. <laughs> our Reformed Theology Advisor is Cal Vanism. Our expert on Russian eschatology is Pitoff Hell. Uh, <laughs> our Director of Holiness is Mortification. Our Staff Counselor, Les Moody. Our Giving Coordinator, Generosity. Uh, Generosity. Generosity. Jenna. Generosity. Our Director of Tithing is Tim Percent. <laughs> uh, our Nativity Coordinator, uh, the... She's from France. Huh. Um, Beth Lehem. Um, <laughs> she's French. Yeah. Lehem almost sounds uh, Yiddish. Or, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I came home and I told Leanna what the new one was. And she yeah. goes, no, no, no. It's not Beth Leham. Yeah. It's, it, she's from France. It's Beth Lehem. Lehem. Uh, Lehem. Uh, and the new one, uh, the co-pastors of plagues. What? The co-pastors of plagues. <laughs> co-pastors of plagues. Manny locusts. <laughs> Manny Locusts and Lance Boyles. <laughs> uh, you know, it's 51 minutes just to get yeah. to that. Just to get to that. Oh, my god! For a transcript of today's show, write down Manny, everything. We, Manny Locusts? Ma Manny Locusts. Yeah. And, and Lance. Lance Boyles. Lance. Those are two of the plagues. Uh, two, two of the ten. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't come up with anything for lice. Yeah. <laughs> Um, for but the fact that you did both, like co-pastors. Yeah, well, I, mean, I had was... to, because I couldn't decide which one was funnier. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the best advice uh, we've ever heard, trust God. Take a nap. See you. See you next time.